I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't say it with me. I, I, you, you have a beautiful voice. It's... Oh, yes, I really, really do. Mm-hmm. Um, what's new? What's happening? Uh, just How was your week? My week was uh, plentiful. How was yours? Okay, I had my second COVID vaccine shot yesterday. You're doing quite well. Yeah, I'm hopped up on Tylenol. Mm -hmm. My arm hurts. My body aches a little. I don't have a fever. Mm -hmm. Um, It's your usual state. But that's kind of how I am usually, so... Like a koala without eucalyptus. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Where... What are you drinking? Oh, today I'm drinking the hard kombucha. Oh, how white of you. (laughs) As someone, as a wise sage once said to me. Uh-huh. All right, so... You don't, want to, you don't want to know what I'm drinking? What are you drinking? Boxed red wine. It's Redvolution. I from? Mean, I don't know. Whatever that brand is. Where did you buy it from? Uh, the grocery store. Bombs. I mean, times are hard. I just you know, need to escape. You drink every day. What do you mean escape? What are you Don't put me out there like that. What, what are you escaping? <laughs> okay. Uh, so I finally watched Queen and Slim. Oh, yes. After, you know, I've asked you to watch this since, because I saw that press screening alone in 2019. And I remember, you know, we, we've had the award screener for a while since then. And I think the subject matter put me off and then your review of it put me off. No, I didn't review it. No, you telling me about it uh, because you really didn't like the... The character, um, what's her name? Justine. Jody. Jody. Um, it's not that I didn't like her. And I want to say I like the idea of the film. I just, I think there were problems I had with it. But after watching it, I, I enjoyed it more than not. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not going to do a review of it right now because I didn't take notes. and uh, Yeah. But I thought it was well done. Mm-hmm. The symbolism is strong. It feels very uh, prescient, considering the incidents that occurred last summer. Correct, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot about the film I like. And it. I almost feel the way I feel about Antebellum, mm-hmm. in the sense that a person needs to maybe give it a second go-round. Sure. Because I already knew the things that you said you didn't really like about it, so I was sort of paying attention to those things. And knowing that, I think... The film just washed over me in a way that felt, uh, didn't feel as contrived as maybe I think a lot of people thought it did upon a first watch. Yeah. But I, I did like it and, you know, Lena Waithe has done, you know, mm-hmm. I liked, uh, what's the one with the 80s, 90s R&B? Bad hair. Bad hair and then the TV show Them. Mm-hmm. I've only watched two episodes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I really enjoyed those so far. So, good job, lady, person. Um, Olympia Dukakis died today. Yeah, she sure did, um, which is a bummer. I, I didn't actually look up what the cause of death was, but she was 89. Um, so, you know, every it seems recently we've been in that uh, kind of every week there's somebody very notable dying. <laughs> All I know about her is Steel Magnolias and... Whenever I think about her, I think about the man who ran for president. Dukakis. Dukakis. Mm-hmm. And I always thought they were related. No. <laughs> but I don't I, think I they don't are. I don't believe so. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts about Olympia? memories? Yeah. 
Well, I, also for a very long time, I thought she was the person in Tootsie, which is really Dustin, Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman. Yes. No. <laughs> no. Uh, what's funny? I just watched her. Oh, what's funny is uh, I got a Blu-ray of the film Stiletto from the late 60s, and she plays a widow in that. Um, I watched that very recently. But uh, again, before we started, like earlier this morning, I asked you if you remember what film she won her Oscar for. No. I mean, Did you tell me? Yes. Oh, I don't remember. Moonstruck. She I Sherry's remember mother. Moonstruck. I remember Nicolas Cage. I remember her dad's kind of a hard ass. Danny Aiello. I do not remember Olympia. Wow. Well, she won a whole ass Oscar for it. Oh. Um, she's also in Working Girl. Don't remember her in she's, that. She's the one that gives, uh, sends Tess McGill to the Kevin Spacey character. Nope. Anyway, many, many things. Brian De Palma's sisters, uh, which I watch on kind of a regular occasion. She has a small part in that. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of her life, uh, her career, uh, Tom Fitzgerald uh, cast her in many of his films, including The Event um, and Three Needles and Cloudburst. And uh, she, you, you do know her. She's in... Um, they, they revamped it on Netflix based on the arms. Tales of the City. Oh, Tales of she, the City. Yeah, she plays the trans. She's uh, Anna Madrigal. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which okay. is a... Uh, I know her name. I mean, I know she's a, a, a long-time, you know, veteran actor, but yeah. And Anna Madrigal is an um, uh, anagram for a man and a girl. Oh, I, I well, you never read Tales of the City, which is... I did read Tales of the City. Well, you don't remember. I just don't remember. Yes. <laughs> okay, the Oscars occurred last Sunday. I know you don't like talking about awards, but do you have any thoughts about the Oscars it's not that, last Sunday? It's not that I don't like talking about that. It's just, in my mind, the Oscars have, you know, fallen from the grace that I felt they had when I was a kid. Um, God, I just... They, they don't like to give black people best actor or actress. They just don't like to do it. Like, <laughs> is it was, it was, again, my initial impression. Um, I, I would have sworn, and, I, you know, as we recorded last week before the event, and I would have bet money on Viola or Andre Day winning, but whatever. Uh, Frances McDormand now has three Oscars. And, you know, I do like Frances. I, I do like that lady. Um... She, I think only, was it seven other people have won three? Uh, Catherine Hepburn remains the only one that has won four. Uh, notably, Francis has won three as a lead, and the only other person to do that is uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay. And Catherine Hepburn, of course. Uh, you know, you liked the father a lot. I like the father. Anthony Hopkins is very good in it. Uh, I guess it doesn't surprise me that they did that. I'm very happy that uh, Daniel Kaluuya uh, has a Best Supporting Actor Oscar, uh, and of course, uh, Yunya Zhang and her uh, Oscar speech and everything about her. You know, funny, strangely enough, the only in that category supporting actress, it's been what, 63 years since uh, an Asian woman has won that award, uh, and that was. Um, Miyushi Umeki for uh, Sayonara, the Sayonara, the James Mishner adaptation, which starred Marlon Brando, um, and I have seen that film. We have it on Blu-ray. Uh, <laughs> Ricardo Montalban play is playing an Asian man. They give him yellow face, uh, which is very distracting. Um, but that movie is uh, historically 
uh, important for her Oscar win. Um, you know, with Glenn Close dancing to Debut uh, and Spike Lee uh, shouted, giving a shout out to his sister, I think is funny. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm... I do believe that Glenn Close should have an Oscar. I am happy that she did not win for Hillbilly Elegy, uh, which is a film I did not like at all. Um, and we just watched her film... Four Good Days. Which you also didn't care for. No, but I would have been... <laughs> that film technically is better than Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, but what Well, then I'm sure Four oh, Good Days will get attention, too. Um, and Halle Berry... Uh, With her Dora the Explorer <laughs> wig... <laughs> this beautiful woman in her hair, my lord. Um, oh, I was gonna—I was trying to come up with a way to phrase it, but since you know Halle Berry is the only black woman to have won Best uh, Actress, it's gonna be like it's gonna be Halle, like how Haley's Comet only comes around every seventy-five years. <laughs> yeah, Halle will be uh, only be toppled seventy-five years from now. Uh, well, how I feel day. about it, to quote Patsy from AbFab, awards don't matter. So, I agree. I, I, it just seems so arbitrary, which I'm, you know, we've talked about a million times, but it is, and it's just, you know, maybe I, I feel like we need to get, and I think what we're going to be discussing later on um, also kind of ties into this is I think we just need to uh, shift the importance away from things like that. Sure. Okay. What else have we been doing? So the. First episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Australia premiered today, mm -hmm. so we watched it. Oh yes. What were your initial thoughts? Um, fine. Uh, nobody, you know, I think that I am prone to uh, automatically uh, rooting for the underdog always. So of course the, the the formula of drag race is they always set someone up as that. And who is it? Electric Electroshock. Okay. I think automatically you feel like, oh, I'm going to root for her. Um, I was underwhelmed. No one stood out to me. I don't I don't think I recall anyone's name except Karen from Finance. Um, and she won. She won the first episode. They didn't have a challenge. So <laughs> I thought that the first episode actually felt kind of janky because Rue is not able to be in drag on the judges panel because he says his makeup was lost in transit. But then they have sort of a cutaway video of him that clearly was filmed at a later Maybe date. Maybe that's true. Um, no, I'm sure it's true, but it just feels kind of janky. There's no, um, they have a, there are many challenges to take photo, or they do like an acting thing. Yes, with uh, Taika Waititi uh, remotely. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, I wasn't wowed. Usually, first episode, a few people really stick out. This crowd, the only thing I took away is that the Australian queens seem really mean-spirited. Like Americans. <laughs> um, yeah, but the American queens seem like they, they're, they're doing it because they know that'll get them attention. Like, they're trying to be bitchy and they're trying to be, um, like, instigate things. Mm -hmm. These queens seem like they're just nasty. Like, like, their default is to pick at one another and be catty. Which is not... I mean, I don't enjoy watching that, like... Sure, sure. To any degree, um... Well, that's not true. I enjoy it sprinkled about, but this entire episode was them being bitchy to one another mm -hmm. until the one who was one of the most bitchy ones got sent home. Yeah. And then she wanted everyone to feel sorry for her. And she was a person of color, mm -hmm. which was even more disappointing. And I think there's only two, right? Correct. So that was even more disappointing. Like, girl, 
you're not being kind to other people and then you're at, and then you're trying to show how you're like treated differently and mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt a way about that. Next I wanted to mention a show on Netflix called Family Reunion. Wait, you mean Family Reunion? Oh. <laughs> it's in its third season, I believe. Um that's what's on Netflix right now and Initially, I had no interest in watching the show. I thought it was going to be sort of like corny, religious-based family humor. And it uh, starts off on that note, sure. It does, but I think um, I'm very surprised. I'm like, it's been, what, three, four days since Mm -hmm. I started? Mm -hmm. And I'm already like 12 episodes in. Yeah, and I kind of walk in and out. I mean, you know, Loretta Devine. Loretta Devine is so funny. And if you would have asked me, I was not a fan of Sister Sister. I didn't like the Maori twins then. I don't like them now. The other sister seems kind of, I don't know, her husband's conservative and she seems a little off. But I really haven't enjoyed them in anything. I don't enjoy the one in, I don't know who's on the talk or the real. Is it Tia or Tamara? I'm not sure off the top of my head. Either way. Which I'm um, sure they hate. Either way, I enjoy Tia in Family Reunion. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, I grew up with Sister Sister. I'd, maybe I just it's nostalgia factor, but I think Jack A. Hare was the only thing that made me watch sure. that show. But in this show, um, I just really love how positive it is, and they're broaching a lot of topics. Um, I think in a very sort of open-minded way, they confront religion and how Loretta Devine's character is not very open-minded to Coco Tia Maori's character mm. exploring other religions and. They bring it up with their church group, and they agree to, like, open their minds. I thought that was cool, and the dad, um, the, 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 Tia Maori's, uh, her character's husband is a retired football player, mm-hmm. and his character, he, the joke is he wears really, like, sort of, like, flamboyant, tight-fitting clothes, mm-hmm. and he seems like to be a very sensitive guy, so I like that mm-hmm. for this black male dad to be somewhat sensitive and... There's an episode where the son wants to, he wants him to play sports, but the son wants to bake, mm-hmm. and they encourage him to do that. Um, so far, they've had cameos from... Oh, God, Anna Canoni Rose. Anna Canoni who Rose, amazing. who's gorgeous, yeah. and they do, like, a Grease rendition, and they play her like she's some crazy single mom, which was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenya Moore plays, like, a cousin. She looked fabulous. Charlie Wilson played himself in an episode. So, yeah, I'm so surprised Um, I like this show. And Richard Roundtree. And Richard Roundtree. Shaft himself. It plays the grandfather, Loretta Devine's husband, her character's husband. Yeah, it's a really, I'm really enjoying it. And at the end, and it's very um, educational. At the end of every episode, they shout out, um, you know, like every episode is dedicated to someone. Usually it seems like more personal, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it'll be like a notable person of color. It has kind of a Family Matters vibe a little bit, uh, but a little more specific to the black community. They talk about colorism. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things, so I really like it. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, What's Limbo? A movie you watched? uh, Yes. Okay. Uh, So, as usual, you know, there are films that I watch and review for Ion Cinema that you pass on or don't have time for. Yes, everyone knows that. Okay. one of them was Limbo, um, which was uh, selected uh, to have the Cannes label from 2020, because as you know, that uh, festival didn't happen, but they uh, allowed, they, certain films were granted, granted the label. Um, a Scottish filmmaker, Ben Sherrick, uh, about a Syrian refugee that's stuck in this uh, northern Scottish island waiting um, 
to see if he'll be approved to seek asylum in that country and kind of the waiting period he has. It's a very dry, uh, not dry, it's a very droll, uh, meaningful drama with some comedic elements. Um, there's uh, two instructors that are teaching all these people, that are these refugees from all over, like the cultures of the land uh, through reenactments that kind of remind me of uh, Roy Anderson, who we just watched his About Endlessness, at his most um, kind of tongue-in-cheek which you didn't get to see in that film uh, very well. Uh, and also Cliff Walkers, um, a new film from Shang Yimou, who's probably the, the most important fifth generation Chinese filmmaker uh, that's still relevant. You know, he's won, gold he's won Venice twice, Berlin once, uh, several awards out of Cannes, um, major international box office success with Hero and... Uh, um, uh, I'm forgetting some, many, many titles, but uh, he's been a, kind of on a flurry frenzy of filmmaking. Uh, it's uh, kind of an espionage, it's the first time he's done an espionage spy thriller, and it's uh, kind of in that vein. Uh, it's a period piece set in the 30s when uh, Japan was occupying northern China. Uh, but overall, I quite liked it, and I think you would have if you had watched it as well. Okay, you wanted to say something about Roman Polanski? What is that? No, there was just there were uh, there were several like new projects this week that I was very excited about, and one of them is Roman Polanski has a new project uh, called The Party that is uh, scripted by Jerzy Skolomowski. Uh, and of course, the first article that I read about it was somebody complaining about how cancel culture doesn't work, and the fact that Polanski is making another film is proof of that, which. You know, like, I understand that point of view, but there are also other more important things to be focusing on as well. And um, I, for one, don't appreciate someone telling me what I can and can't watch, that, like I'm a child. Uh, but that said, I don't condone uh, raping little girls, of course. But, you know, there are other ways that people are punished in, in ways <laughs> that aren't jail time. And... Uh, I, I don't know that what that man has chosen to do to evade uh, serving uh, time in prison in the U.S. has served him all that well <laughs> in the long run. Uh, anyhow, uh, yeah. Polanski and Skolomowski, well, I mean, he's stuck. He can't go anywhere. Sure. He's I just know, I thought you were going to talk about his movie. Mm. <laughs> it's called The Party, and uh, the combination of Polanski and Skolomowski, which I forgot, I, I want to say Skolomowski... Um, did he script Knife in the Water? You know, I don't know that. Oh, I guess it's a rhetorical question. Uh, anyhow, you know, I would love for you to watch The Shout. It's probably my favorite Skolomowski film with um, John Hurt and Alan Bates and Tim Curry has a small part and Susanna York, I believe. Oh, from 78. Love it. Really love it. And he also did a really good... Uh, Nabokov adaptation, King Queen Knave, which is kind of hard to get a hold of with Gina Lollabrigida. Anyhow, uh, probably more uh, safe to talk about is the new David Cronenberg project. Um, it'll be his first movie since 2014's Maps to the, Map to the Stars. Um, it's called Crimes of the Future, uh, and it's lined up a really good cast. Uh, Viggo Mortensen, Kristen Stewart, Lea Seydoux, uh, somebody else pretty major I'm forgetting. 
Um, notably, he directed a short film in 1970 called Crimes of the Future, which I actually just watched today because I've never seen it. Um, and strangely, it's only available on as an extra feature on this 1979 dragster movie he did called Fast Company. Like, David Cronenberg did a car racing movie. Uh, and that, I guess, I'd never really registered that he did, so I watched that as well. Um, and the alternate title for 1999's Existence was also Crimes of the Future. So I have no idea if any of them are all related, um, but I'm excited for it. Uh, and on, on top of other exciting projects, Sebastian Lelio, uh, who, the Chilean director who did Gloria and Gloria Bell and uh, A Fantastic Woman, uh, which won the Oscar. Uh, he announced a new project starring Florence Pugh of Midsummer called The Wonder. Um, and I just wanted to shout out too as well, Emily Attef, uh, I thought I shot the, I saw her last film, Three Days in Kiberon, about um, a strenuous time in the life of Romy Schneider. Uh, she announced a new title, uh, More Than Ever, but what's interesting about that is it's going to uh, feature Liv Ullman, you know, who hasn't been on camera since 2012. So to me, that's a big deal. All right. Oh, no. There's one more thing. Who's Emily Atef? That's who I just said. Were you oh. like, you're not listening? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Now, you want to review movies you watched this week that you did not review. Yeah, some that you watched with me, like Howling 6, The Freaks. Well, I, I paid, I mean, I maybe experienced like 20% of it. Um, <laughs> you don't remember why I No, you on. know what, I got, I got distracted because I was reading about uh, Janet Mock gave that speech. Oh yes, uh, condemning Hollywood. And then admitting that she like cheated on uh, Angel, Little Poppy. Oh God. Because she's in a relationship with him, but then she says she slept with someone else on the crew and... Janet complained about how much she gets paid um so yeah I, I got caught up in that trying to look up something else oh, but thanks. um wow. so Howling 6 the, was the freaks yeah was very interesting it's very interesting until it gets to the werewolf part really I didn't watch that part no that's okay <laughs> but I forget oh I'm forgetting his name that the the main bad guy who is the villain on Passenger 57 which we just watched um is in it, but what I, what I wanted to see it because I was reminded of Christopher Morley, uh, that actor who often played uh, characters that were supposed to be trans, like in Freebie and the Bean. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the first Howling movie, Joe Dante, uh, but I actually haven't seen anything beyond Howling Three, The Marsupials. So it was kind of a waste of time at the end of the day. Um, you and I also watched uh, because. We got a Blu-ray copy of it uh, from Severin Films, Deep Blood, uh, by Joe D'Amato. Uh, that was a slog. It was. It really does necessitate a mystery science theater treatment to be entertaining. The only, I mean, there's nothing about it that I can say is interesting enough to shout out. No. I mean, there are there are four like young men. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you like young men, uh, who are moderately attractive, oftentimes without shirts on. Then there's that, but the story makes no sense. The, like, the, the, the actual like underwater scenes with the shark look really fake. The mm -hmm. blood looks like... Well, what's funny is because another Jaws ripoff from the 70s that we kind of did like and thought was fun was uh, Tintorera, Tiger wow. Shark. Uh, but yeah, it was strangely the way it's packaged a waste of time. What else you got? Um, I watched Backdraft for the first time. Okay. Trash. I... I... 
oh, it was hard to sit through by myself. Uh, and, you know, my mother is a huge Kurt Russell fan, so we grew up with his films. And my dad hated that movie, which is probably why we, we never watched it. Oh, Ron Howard. Oh. Um, and also, Bodies Rest in Motion. A, a kind of monotonous Gen X movie, if there ever was one. But great cast. Um, Phoebe Cates, uh, Tim Roth, Eric Stoles, and most of all, Bridget Fonda, who is a presence I kind of do miss on screen. And she was the best part of this to me. Um, Michael Steinberg film from 1993 uh, that I believe played at Sundance because his film before that was one something there. Very 1990s, very meandering, um, kind of a slog. But Bridget Fonda uh, was really good. I, I feel like there was, if they had focused more on her undoing, um, but then I think the best thing I've seen, the best film moment I had this week was uh, getting wine drunk and staying up late and watching... Every night you do that. What do you mean? <laughs> Don't let that be the reason it was great. But go ahead. What, what, what movie are you talking about? Go ahead. Are you done shaming me? No. But for now, let's go. <laughs> um, my Reputation. Oh. <laughs> how, how appropriate. <laughs> No, a 1946 film starring Barbara Stanwyck, I believe directed by Curtis Bernhardt, um, about a woman recently widowed, and she goes on a ski trip with her friend, played by Eve Arden, who you know from Mildred Pierce, um, and meets this other man uh, that, uh, played by George Brent, who used to kind of sleep around with Betty Davis, uh, and... <laughs> She falls in love with him and has a romance against the wishes of everybody, including her harpy of a mother, um, who's even worse than the mother in Now Voyager. Um, and just kind of how... It's 1946, so post-World War II, and how she decides to cut off ties with society and everybody around her and actually pursue this romance, not wear black, was so refreshing to see. Um, it reminded me of what I felt like my grandmother should have done. Uh, but... Also, strangely, so strangely, at odds uh, against the output of the 1950s. Because by 1946, I believe the, the Hayes Code was already in full effect. The Catholic Legion of Decency already had to um, give approval ratings uh, on, on films to be released, you know, which is a whole battle going on. Because the pre-codes, Barbara Stanwyck um, grew out of pre-code Hollywood. Um, and if you have never had the chance to see those films, like Babyface or Ladies They Talk About or Night Nurse, like those are so fantastic and ahead of their time. But this film in 1946, My Reputation, which is a, you know, on the surface a weepy uh, woman's picture, is so at odds that what we'd even see from films starring Barbara Stanwyck in the 50s, like um, There's Always Tomorrow or where her adult children don't uh, suspect her of having an affair and, you know, kind of divert her attention, um, or All I Desire. Uh, and I bring that up because uh, that's a Douglas Sirk film. Uh, and Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven Allows with Jane Wyman uh, and Rock Hudson, where she is um, dissuaded from uh, seeking out love with this man below her class, which of course Todd Haynes remade as Far From Heaven. <laughs> Um, anyway, I guess I could ramble on about that, but you don't seem to be interested, so. You want to go on about your favorite films of April since we just wrapped April up. 
So you have your five favorites of April? Mm-hmm. What are those, please? Well, did you prepare your own or no? No. Oh, okay. Just a shout. I mean, you know, like things that... Uh, um, like, to shout out, if you know, we all neglect things to, to catch up. Uh, so, I don't remember what I watched yesterday. <laughs> well, I know. Well, you know, I do have to play the memento game with you, but... Um, I think in the order of their release through the month of April, uh, Shiva Baby, uh, French Exit, Jacob's Wife, Stowaway, and Things Heard and Seen uh, were all films that I highly recommend if you haven't seen any of them, and I believe we did cover all those. Yes, we did. <clears throat> okay, so for the topic today, you wanted to talk about trans representation in film, which was precipitated by a review we did for the movie, um, damn, Together, oh so, Together. Together. Mm -hmm. um, I talked a lot of shit about that movie. <laughs> I did too, I, and I, I still maintain it's not a good film. And I'm going to say my piece, and then you can just go on. Uh, so, we talked about the movie, didn't like it, I think in a pretty funny review. And then someone in the comments... Uh, posted that the main character, played by Patty Harrison, is a trans woman, mm -hmm. which I didn't know. So I look it up, and I I found an interview of her, which I'm assuming is a real interview, saying she's trans. So I was surprised to learn that uh, for, I guess, more than one reason. But uh, it made me think, would I have been less harsh on this movie if I knew she were trans? And the answer is yes. Because in the review we did, I commented on how heavy her makeup is mm -hmm. and how it's not really well blended. And, but I also said she's a gorgeous woman. Mm -hmm. And I think had I known she was trans, I would have been much more sensitive to her aesthetic. But I don't know that that's the right thing to be. Like, if I, like I should judge everyone equally mm -hmm. or maybe not. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> we were going to talk about it now. No, I think you, but, we should... I mean, that's the thing. It's like white critics that don't really want to go in on black films because they feel like they don't have agency to do so. But I, I also know that oftentimes I'm less harsh on black films because I feel like there's a component to them I relate to mm -hmm. and maybe there's that's something that someone who didn't appreciate it did not have. So in this instance, it's like... Yeah, I, I I thought the story was so basic and it was, it was comedically off tone. So her being trans would not have helped anything except that maybe I wouldn't have commented. And now I'm wondering, I hope uh, Sufi Bradshaw's not trans because I talked about her here too. Well, here's the thing. Um, here, but here's the thing. Like the research that, you know, I do in writing or talking about films is, you know, we all, we all use IMDb as a resource. IMDb, like what I referenced... Uh, for Harrison is her past credits as a writer for Big Mouth uh, a, a part in a Paul Feig film um, but nowhere in on her IMDb page does it mention that she's trans and so you would have to do a little bit of digging granted not much uh, but but I think it's great that this trans woman was cast in a film playing a cis woman Having a baby. Having uh, a baby, and her being trans is not a thing. Well, that's the th I, I, So the movie, you know, premiered at Sundance several months ago this year, uh, has been out a week, so I think anybody that really wanted to see it should see it. I think it's better to not know anything about her, um, and I'm glad that I didn't, because the other thing is, once you know, 
then it's our habit to bring that up, to classify her. Um, and I really think this kind of situation is the new frontier of where we kind of need to get to. And that's what I want to talk about, trans representation. Two cis gay men, yes, talking about um, the importance of trans representation and, and what it means. Well, go for it. Well, I mean, you're going to engage and speak with me on it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't... This was kind of a surprise to me. Like, I didn't formulate any thoughts. I mean... Oh. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I have thoughts, but I, 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 I don't know what you're planning on saying, so I don't want to just start talking out of the side of my ass when I only have, like, 10 to oh. 15 minutes left, but... Oh, so yeah. it... But, but, I, but I know you have the outlined thoughts, so why don't you go ahead? Well, so... I wanted to reference um, reception theory, uh, which I think I first learned about as an undergrad reading the 1980 publication Stars by Richard Dyer, uh, which is um, about also called like star celebrity theory. So boil down what that is, the baggage that we all carry into the theater or the screening of what we know of the people in it. So what everything you know about Brad Pitt or Jennifer Aniston before you go in also um, also will bias you in your opinion about their performance, about their ability to do this or that or all of that. So, you know, ostensibly the best kind of um, a screening experience is where you really have no knowledge of the people in it or who made it uh, because then you're completely free of those biases. So when... Like that recent documentary, which we did cover, Disclosure, last year, talking about trans representation and how we are continuing. You know, a lot of cis male actors are rewarded with Oscars, etc., cetera, uh, for playing trans women, right? And then uh, invariably we see them at the award shows and they're, they're, not, they're, they're not a trans woman. They are um, a cis man and we're constantly reminded of that disparity <clears throat> and um, and thus, watching them on screen, we're really distracted by the act of watching them play trans um, is one part of this conversation. Another part of the conversation is trans performers, did they, should they be expected to only play trans characters? And obviously, I, I think that is no. Uh, and every trans person is uh, has a different experience, has a different... Um, way they want to express themselves there's no one way to do it so that's why i say this is this is kind of the new frontier that this is possible and was successful and um how things like this should help us to be able to progress progress and move forward but then there's also the you know consumer side of filmmaking which is there are no trans stars and with those trans stars only want to play trans people and which I think is why Pose is so important because that's where you get name brand. That's how you breed name brand factors. You get Dominique Jackson, for instance. You know, that, that they are uh, a performer, uh, that they are a notable brand, and then you can hire them and elevate them. Maya Taylor, blah, blah, blah. Th that's how that business works, um, that side of it. But then they are marked as trans. And it's also another um, intersection is gay actors, uh, playing gay characters, their ability to play straight characters, why gay actors often stay in the closet because then they aren't seen as leading 
uh, matinee idols. I mean, that's a tale as old as time. And then, using reception theory, how we look at things in retrospect. Like, once it was discovered that Rock Hudson was gay, and all those Rock Hudson Doris Day movies, and how that really reinterprets um, how we think about the film. And I think Together Together is a very interesting um, example that is kind of like, for instance, those old Rock Hudson Doris Day movies. What do we... What, how does it change your perspective of it, uh, knowing that the lead actor is trans? And I find it fascinating. I think that it also leaves room for a lot of um, backlash, which is why I feel kind of protective about it. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's fascinating, and we need to get to a place where yeah, Scarlett Johansson says that an actor should be able to play a tree, and. She, and, you know, sure, but at the same time, there's a disparity in who gets to play the part. And it used to be that only we had to live through our allies, you know, to to deign to play trans people, gay people on screen because that was considered to be, a, a, you know, a, a ruination to your career because they didn't even allow examples of us on screen. Um, so now that we're at a point where that's no longer possible, how do we... Um, kind of bridge uh, equanimity, if you will. I mean, I have two thoughts initially. One is, it seems like a slippery slope to try to qualify who can play what role. Yes. So, being upset that a trans woman is not playing a trans female character gets a little slippery because I also think, you know, that goes... And I know people make comparisons that don't make sense, like saying that we want, you know, you can't get a serial killer to play a serial killer. But I but I don't think that that's so far off the mark. Like, it's called acting. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that sticks out in my head even more is it's a business. So, in a movie like Together Together, there was a more notable person starring in the film. Mm -hmm. So, Patty Harrison didn't need to be a recognizable person to get this shit show off the ground. <laughs> But then I think right. something like the Scarlett Johansson film she was attached to playing a trans character, that film was only going to be made because of her. Yeah, it's dead now. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to balance like the importance of telling stories with making it make like, dollars and cents. And the same goes with gay characters. And you talking about reception theory is like, yeah, if an audience, you know, me playing a straight male character in a film is just not going to work. Because, but it could. I mean, Luke. That's called Luke Evans. Uh, I, I think is a case in point. But I'm saying that if 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 I were very popular and if everyone knew me and I'm an, and I'm a very gay man, I don't know that it would make sense to have me play a character who isn't. When people are very, this is why I think when we think about movie stars like, you know, pre '80s, you know, like before the studio were, era, studio mm -hmm. era, what made them so effective was that they had a private life like we only knew what sure. we only knew what the studio put out there for us to know so there was some mystique to all these people that doesn't exist anymore correct it's the same reason you know social media stars don't really do film because they're a distraction mm -hmm. everyone knows them mm -hmm. so they may be fine actors but they're a distraction so i think someone's gender their their gender expression their sexuality their Religion, a lot of things can affect, like you said, the audience's perception. 
but as an executive in charge of the business, I want nothing to do with that. So if I had the ability to green light a project, I would take those factors into consideration. Sure. And they are. And they are. And I don't think that's necessarily unfair because, you know, everyone's saying they want representation, but it's like what you're asking for is money. So you want me to give you $20 million to make this movie, but the person you want in it is either not known enough to get people to sit in the audience, and if they are known, they're going to be a distraction. My, my film won't get critical acclaim because everyone's distracted by the fact that person X is in it. So I think that's fair. How do we make progress? I think in movies like Together Together, where we have an actor whose gender is not uh, explored in her professional credits, she doesn't readily express it, 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 it would seem. And, you know, it's not about being stealth because... Right. There are some people who on screen would make me question like, oh, you know, how does this person identify? But that person could also work for a character. I think whenever you're too big, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jennifer Aniston, I'm sure, has not been offered many, many roles. Because of who she is. Because of who she is. So it's not just like, oh, the the underrepresented low life, lower on the totem pole person. Certain people just don't get jobs because they're a distraction. And I think we fixate on like, oh, this big star took this role. Well, yeah, because that's the only way people will see the movie. If Jared Leto is, and Matthew McConaughey are playing these characters, it's more palatable. But we need to get away, you know, I I think Um, we need to get away from, you know, the the gay for pay argument. But also... um, I think the problem still remains really with out gay actors or out trans actors uh, being allowed to have careers that are as varied as their heterosexual counterpart and cis counterparts. We need to normalize trans people. Yes. We need to normalize gay people. We need to normalize people of color and tell those stories in an authentic way. The, The problem is because if... You know, I think a lot of people look at it from the perspective of, like, what percentage of people, like, let's say, are trans. So then people assume a very small percentage compared to the whole. So then it's like, okay, well then, do we need 50% of characters on TV to be trans or offer trans representation? People would argue no. Now, if you can get an actor who happens to be trans and play a role... Then, because like I just watched Clean and Slim, Queen and Slim, mm-hmm. and India Moore, yeah, mm-hmm. is in it, and I mean I don't think that it was intended for anyone to think she's trans, right? They're, yeah, they're another good example, actually. right? So it's like, of course, we can fill these roles, or sometimes it's like, yeah, why not make the person trans? But again, I think it's like, you know, I work in brand marketing, and a lot of that is like surveys and polls and market research and these are just facts these are numbers like we need to appeal to the most people so i understand that but i think part of that is like we need to normalize all these things so that we can have stories right that involve these people and and you know every trans person every trans person story is different but i do work with um a lot of trans people and for some of them it's triggering to have to keep having to refer to, you know, their, their past life, their, their dead name, if you will. And 
So a trans actor is forced into being a representative, and that's what people are going to always ask them about. They'll always be attached to that. It's not like when you change your identity and you get new identification paperwork where all of that, you know, goes away. But it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, that's what I mean by normalize. Like, we shouldn't have to... You know, it's just like how people will ask me... I mean, someone asked me recently, uh, the dermatologist yesterday, about, like, a girlfriend or picking up women, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, w- like, normalizing homosexuality, to me, would have said, do you have a significant other? Right. Or not gendering who you think I pick well, up at bars. So I think it's like... I, I think what... To, we shut down projects before they're made because of a uh, cis person playing them. And I think that is kind of a, a disservice to us as well because we're prejudging that it's going to be terrible or wrong. And the, the percentage, you know, historically, based on what we've seen, it probably will be. But it also furthers things. Um, so I, I, I don't believe in shutting things down. Well, would you say, well, because you, so you wouldn't agree that like the Scarlett Johansson film should, it should have been made. I think it should have been made. It because been, I think that would have taking us one step closer because it would have been a studio film yeah. with a trans character granted yeah. played by a cis person but it again it's a step further and because i know like in some of our videos where we've reviewed films that uh featured daniel kuleya is that kaluya kaluya sorry sir um people always there, there's always someone commenting like why are they having non-black american people play oh yeah that's another point of contention and i just think like this is a black man on screen in a quality role, mm-hmm. acting his little heart out and getting acclaim. That is progress. So it's like, I mean, I don't know. It's like sometimes you can't get out of the, what's the saying? You can't get out of the something for the grass or the weeds up for the... You see the forest for the trees? You can't see the forest, yeah. But I, again, I always equate it to the crabs in the bucket, and we need to stop being crabs in the bucket and get rid of the bucket. And the bucket are our institutions that keep us in, the, in this, in this um, sunken place and elevate ourselves because I, I think we all really kind of want the same things anybody that's, you know, disenfranchised and cares about other people. Um, But we need to... uh, I I lost my train of thought, I think. But I... What did I have written down? You're so passionate about this topic. We need to scuttle the bucket. Um, Scuttle the bucket? We need to scuttle the bucket. Uh, We need to be having different kinds of conversations and not being so fixated on really what our kind of smaller details um, to move the conversation forward. But that said, I, I think that's why I wanted that to be a topic because I was um, very surprised that I watched Together Together and said what I said, and I still don't think it's a good movie. Uh, but I really, I think it, but I think it warrants a separate conversation about how that film is actually very important in its way. Um, for, for a lead character uh, in a film that's not addressing it, that's, that's um, dealing with a, a, you know, a, a, a cis function, a reproduction, appropriation, and uh, how subversive that is and how much I, I do really appreciate that part of it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to get out of your system before we end this podcast episode? No. I, you know, we never talk about what we're reading, but... It, I don't read. That's you. You're trying to shame me now. No, I buy. So you. I'm illiterate, and you're an alcoholic. I buy okay. you. <laughs> you you do buy me books. 
But I don't read very well. So it's, it's like, stressful. That's so... I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> you don't read very well. You just like to say that. Well, I can... I have excellent reading comprehension. I'm not illiterate. There the we problem go. is that I don't read, like, two pages in, and I start to get a headache, and I'm tired. So... It, it, like, it's difficult. It takes me a very long time to read a book that would take anyone, out, like someone like you, a day. It would take me two weeks. How always disparaging to yourself. But um, I'm good at other things. You're, you're good at reading, too. But uh, any, anyhow, uh, I'm reading Immodest Acts, uh, The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance Italy uh, from Judith C. Brown in 1986 in preparation for seeing Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. In. Uh, but I've been finding it very amused uh, what this Renaissance era nun was able to get away with. Um, okay. And how people just believed her, like that she got a message from Jesus saying, I want to marry you, and here I want all these pillows at the ceremony. And they all just were like, sure. People want to believe. Oh my God. Like everything with COVID, like <laughs> they want to believe that after the first shot they're immune, or if they've had it already, they won't get it again. And there was a sequence she told where she said Jesus came and took her heart for three days out of her body and she lived without a heart. And the woman that she was touching inappropriately said, oh, yes, I was touching that part of her chest and there was a hollow there. So, oh, God. <laughs> okay. Anyhow. We, we can be done. But okay. uh, just as a reminder, if you like our podcast, watch our videos on YouTube, Fish Jelly Film Reviews. Mm-hmm. And... We're still not quite sure how people can communicate via the podcast. I know there's an email address associated um, with the account. So I guess people could email us at fishjellyfilms. Wait, is that our email address? Hold on. Let me verify that before I say the wrong address. Fishjellyfilms at gmail.com. There you go. Uh, Last words? (sighs) Um, Power to the people. All right. Won't you do it? <laughs> Bye. Bye.